Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. I'm I'm really glad to be here. Last week, I was. Am I centered? There, that's better. <laughs> I do not want to be off center this morning. That's important. Um, last week, I was in Fort Worth at Hope Church, and we. Uh, I, I'm the director of a network of churches that has grown up out of Hope Church in Fort Worth. And so I was laying out what God had done in our network, through our network in the last year. And it was, it was fun to do, but it's good to be home. Okay, I like, I like being home. I like my own bed. I like my oatmeal in the morning. The stuff I put in my coffee, it's awesome. So it's good to be back. We are in a series where we're looking at what's best today. Not what's bad, good, better, but what's best. And the way God tells time, our life's made up of time. That's the stuff it's made up of. And the way God tells time is we have one opportunity after another that flows by, and we have to choose the way it is. There's a limited amount of time. We can't do everything. So we have to learn to choose what's best in order to find the meaning and purpose in life that God intends. Otherwise, we come up empty. So in this series, we've surveyed many of the passages and truths from the Bible that give us perspective and principles for how to choose what's best. In week one, we exposed some villains of progress. Uh, we, experienced, we, we experienced the best life possible by turning from evil, turning from the bad to do good. We looked at Psalm 34 and talked about how that is. The four villains are ambiguity, overload, lack of fulfillment, and the fear of missing out, or FOMO. Some things we do just because we're so afraid we're going to miss out on something that we just do it. And it may not be the best thing to do. So we looked at those, and we found that defeating those villains uh, is... The way to defeat those villains is to orient your life around God and his will. Second week, we looked at what God wants done in the broad scope of things. And in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, we saw how we're made and remade to do good works to the glory of God. In, in his wisdom, God made good works part of the fabric of life. So it's not a special effort where we go to do a project those, that's, not, that's not the only way to do good. Good is woven into our family life, our work, our, our church life. It's, it's woven all through life. God has a big, big perspective on what life's about. And so even in the mundane, routine things that we do, there's meaning. Because God wants us to do good in it. The next week, uh, we looked at the best. We discovered the guiding principle for Christ followers' life is love. That's the best. The best, most productive thing you can do in any given situation is the loving thing. Unlove is completely counterproductive. To choose the unloving word or the unloving deed or even the unloving thought that tends to turn into words and actions is very unproductive because it, it, it wastes time. It causes conflict. It, you, you aren't able to move toward the things that God really wants us to accomplish if you do the unlove. 
if you do the unloving thing. In week four, we saw it's God's grace that, that motivates us to do good works. We, we find the freedom to produce, to be fruitful in God's grace. We don't, we don't do good works to earn God's favor. God in Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. And so we, we can gain his acceptance by accepting what Jesus has done on the cross and giving our life to follow him. So we don't do good works to gain God's approval, but we do good works because we have it. And that, that makes all the difference. And so we're free to produce. Relying on self-effort makes us run out of steam. You know, we run out. That was my, the extent of my so, uh, special effects during that. I'm giving you highlights. <laughs> At least what I perceive as highlights <laughs> of these messages. In week five, we saw the key to finding peace and chaos in Philippians 4. Um, Thad Lanthrop spoke last week, and he, he showed us how Going to God for help in prayer brings peace in spite of a growing list of to-dos and chaos and whatever's going on. We can find peace in the middle of it as we continually turn things over to God, entrusting them uh, to Him and trusting Him to do what He wants to with our lives. I, the way I am, that means I have to, as you know, the stomach starts nodding up throughout the day, and I'm just feeling overwhelmed. I've got overload. I've, I've got to keep turning it over to God. Keep trusting Him with it. And learn to walk by faith as He, as He leads forward. Today, we're going to look at 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. And in a few moments, we're going to see a core factor to choosing what's best. It trumps all the others. Strategies and techniques, they're good. For being productive, but they aren't enough. I've tried, I tried most of them. We'll say that. Uh, eat the frog. You know, the eat the frogs technique, which is the very thing you are dreading that day. You do it first to get it out of the way. Otherwise, it's just lingering. It's, in, it's gnawing at the back of your mind. And, and you eat the frog. That's the frog. The frog is the thing you dread doing. Do it first. Get it out of the way. Putting the big rocks in first. You know, take the big priorities of your life, make time for them in the week, and build your life around the big rocks. Another very helpful technique. These are good things. We need to, we need to figure these things out. But the core factor that we're going to talk about today shows up when we have to reach deep to choose to do what we don't want to do. <laughs> to discipline ourselves or to really deny ourselves to set our interests aside, to focus on the interests of someone else, to do what we dread. This core factor shows up. It's, it's what's inside of us that makes the most difference. It's tempting to look for external solutions to increase productivity. And there are some, some helpful external tools. I tend to be an early adopter on new stuff. And I, I, I remember in college I started looking for techniques, things that would help me wrangle my time, manage my time, get it under control, because I wanted to use it. You know, I, I read Ephesians 5.15. I'm sure I even memorized it at some point. Look carefully. It's the theme verse. It's the backdrop verse for the 
series. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time. That, that grabbed me. I wanted to make the most of my life. My life's made up of time, so I wanted to do the most with it. So I'm kind of an early adopter. In my era, era um, notebook planners were big. My very first planner that I ever had was called a Star Diary. It was about, it was like pocket size. I like that. You could carry it in your pocket. And I got it in college. I remember spending hours getting set up and getting organized and getting every detail put in there, every detail I could think of at the time. There's always that moment when you realize, I didn't put that in the schedule. <laughs> but anyway, I remember getting it organized, putting it together, and feeling so accomplished, I realized that's only the first step. There's a bunch more. I've got to keep it updated. I've got to choose to do what I wrote in my schedule. I mean, when I get there, often I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't feel like doing that. And so I, I found that it was a helpful tool, but it's just a tool. It still depends on me. And if it gets lost, that's traumatic or washed. Okay, left in my pocket a couple times. It's washed. That's trauma. Put it on top of the roof of the car. Boom, it's gone. You know, you're, you're it's, it's agonizing. And then I've gone to several seminars. I've been been to time management trainings. I, you, you may have been as well. Very, very helpful. Usually tied to a big, expensive notebook that you need to buy. Um, at least in my era. Now it's software. Okay, that's but that's the next phase of my of my experience here. Um, I walked out of those seminars with a great deal of hope and determination, only to run into life. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh no! I mean that that was so clear when the guy was talking about it up up in front of the classroom. I just could see how it could work, and and then I still have to make the hard choice. I still have to do. Much of the time, what I don't really feel like doing. If I'm going to have a meaningful life, I've got to choose to give my life to the right things. That's a choice. Technology seemed like an answer to my woes. I remember when I had the paper kind, I really longed for the software. I just couldn't, I just couldn't wait to be able to get the software. Um, here, here's a picture of my, my early, uh, Technology. I have a friend who's still mourning the loss of this. It was simple. It worked. And uh, I, I had one of these, a Palm Pilot. Uh, my, my grandkids play with, with this now. Um, the, the advantage is that I could automate some of the process. I could put it in a computer program, and it was there if my computer didn't crash. I, I could... I could Use this technology to really help me sort of wrangle some things, but technology doesn't automate me. I still have to choose what I'm going to do. I still have to make the hard choices to discipline myself in order to make the most time. And then there are books. Uh, the first book I ever read was called The Art of Management for Christian Leaders. Very helpful book. Had some great tips on time management. Draw a fence around the important things in your week. And if you happen to have to break the fence, then draw it somewhere else. That was very helpful. It's like perspective. Boom. That makes sense to me. 
Because in my work, you have a whole week, for, for the most part, that you can choose to do what you want to with the different pieces of it. So I, I needed to figure this out. Another book that was very helpful, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey. Very helpful. It's probably on the screen. Uh, one Minute Manager was helpful. And here's one of my favorites. One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. The monkey is responsibility. And in an office, people love to share the monkey with everybody else and not take their own responsibility. And as a leader, you have to keep choosing which ones you're going to hold on to. So you keep, you keep, you delegate responsibility and leave it there. Very helpful perspective. All of this is good. If you set out to improve your productivity, it definitely helps to get training and tools, gain the perspective and learn principles for managing this stuff. But one factor overshadows everything else. Character. It's the most important factor in productivity. Character lies beneath all the externals. It's like an iceberg. You only see the tip of the iceberg. Underneath it is this massive, I don't know, piece of ice seems less than it should should be. But this massive mountain of ice. But what lies below is what's most important as we deal with our time. It's, it's what's inside of us that has a massive impact on our productivity. So, we're going to look at a passage this morning that helps us with this. The Bible says who you are makes the most impact on whether or not you choose what's best each day. Check out 2 Peter 1, 5-9. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you understand how important these qualities are. This, this is what keeps you from being unproductive. These, these character qualities. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now Peter, who wrote this, God through the Holy Spirit, spoke to him, he wrote it. He lays out a sequence of character qualities that build on each other to help us live the most productive life. He, he tells us to make every effort to add these things to your life. And the picture there is speed. This is, you, should, you should put the pedal to the metal to add these things to your life. This is how important they are. Just get after it. If you want to be fruitful, if you want to be productive, you add these qualities to your life. And we need God's help to do that for sure. But, but this, is, this is a very important passage for us. Look again at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to walk through these qualities and look at how they build on each other. The first one is faith. The first quality that we need to, to grow in is faith. Not, not merely 
a mental belief, but approaching life by depending on Christ and Christ alone. Faith begins when we trust Christ. Faith in Christ begins when we trust him for uh, salvation. But we trust him to the extent that we adopt his moral direction and we obey him. So this is the picture of it. We put him in the driver's seat. And as we live our days, we trust him enough to guide what we say, what we do, how we think. He, he's in charge. And we go, since he's in the driver's ta- seat, we go where he takes us. That, that's it's a battle at times. But that's the idea of faith. It's that kind of faith. It's an important quality to be a person of faith. Next, we supplement faith with virtue. Now, virtue... It's kind of a nebulous idea, I think, if you just glance at it. But this word in this passage, it was originally written in Greek. And virtue means to choose courageous, active good. So in the middle of whatever you're dealing with, you, you walk by faith, you trust God, you depend on Him to tell you how to do it. And often, He puts you in a situation where Choosing to do the faith thing requires courageous good, and I've got it has the idea of valor. I've got to make a move to do something that's right and good, and it might be misunderstood, it might not. But but this is an important quality. Our our faith is ineffective unless it translates into action. It's got to turn up in what we do and say, or it doesn't mean anything. And so, here, here's an example of what it means to choose courageous, active good. You're going through your day, and it looks like your boss could, could use some help. And there's, you know, in, in an office, sometimes at workplaces, there's this rumbling, you know, that, hey, you don't want to try to be the boss's pet. In school, it's like, don't, oh, the teacher's pet, you know, they're always helping and always doing things, they always get picked. And so that translates into works like, well, you know, the boss is the boss and he's, he's got more money than me. He's got more power than me. He can figure it out. But you see that your boss needs something and they could use your help. And you don't care what anybody else says. You're going to go ahead and help him because you set your heart to make your boss successful. That's, that's what we're told to do in Scripture. We're, we're set, we're, we're in our arena to help them be successful. And so we step out, no matter what people may say, to do right. That's just a little snippet, a little picture of what that word means. And it, it, that's a small instance. There are bigger ones where we have to choose to do the active good. We do the courageous thing. We add knowledge to virtue. That's what scripture says. We, we need to know all we can about God, His will, and His ways. The Bible shows us that. But this informs our virtue. We don't want to just be acting. <laughs> it needs to be courageous good that we're doing. And so the knowledge that we gain informs our virtue. It, it helps us figure out what it is that's right and good in a situation. So we learn all we can about God, His will, and His ways. After knowledge, P. 
Peter says to add self-control. Scripture says that knowledge puffs up and makes you proud. It's easy to learn facts and whittle the Christian life down to what we know. And we feel holier if we know more of the Bible, if we can quote more of the Bible, if we can whatever more of the Bible. (laughs) We feel holier. It's very easy to will it down. But Christian life is about following our master. That requires self-control. We have to choose it. All the techniques, all of the tools that are out there will not help you choose to do what's best right in front of you in the moment as you live your day. If you want to do something else, it's very easy to take a detour from what you need to do. This is what's going to make you most productive. So self-control is a real key item, key part of our, our makeup that's needed if we're going to be productive. To that, to self-control, we need to add steadfastness. This is, a translation of this word is an upbeat, hopeful endurance. So there's this, this upbeat aspect. You, you, you have hope. We're not walking around defeated. And as you aim to make a difference in life, it's hard to see the difference you might be making in the moment. Isn't it? It is for me. I, I, I wonder if I'm being helpful here. You tend to see the difference by looking back at months and years, not days. Or even not months. Really, it's, it's by looking back at years that you can see the difference. It's hard to see. So in the meantime, you need to choose faith. Do what God's telling you to do. Do His will. Choose virtue. Add to that um, knowledge, self-control, and then keep going after the things God's shown you to go after, trusting Him to bring it together, to use you to make the difference. This means that we choose to live for what's most important to God each day in faith, that He's going to do that. He's going to use us for His purpose. We have to stay upbeat in the face of discouragement, in the face of the trouble, when it seems like we're not making any progress. To all of that, we add godliness, which is, godliness is a deep reverence for God that looks to His interests in all situations. So, Here's the thing. God becomes my reference point for the choices I'm making right here. Just like those mountains out those windows. Um, If I'm in this area and I can see Mount Baldy, I know that's north. I do better at ending up where I want to go if I happen to get disoriented, (laughs) which happens a lot. Just ask my wife. She is way better at directions than I am. And so we've been through... You know, a few rough moments there. But uh, anyway, that really helps orient me that that's that's how that's how it is for the godly. The godly allow God and what's important to him to determine to help them figure out what to do right here. He's the reference point. He, He wants to lead us to do good to his glory. This is the most 
productive way to live. To be godly, I need to add knowledge. I've got to know what God wants done. I need to know His will. I, I, to make it happen requires self-control and steadfastness. I've got to keep fighting through. And then Peter says to add to all of that brotherly affection. You know, we can feel pretty good about ourselves if we know a lot and we keep choosing self-control and we hang in there when everybody else is peeling off. It's very easy to feel, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, doing pretty good here. We, we, we can become self-righteous snobs <laughs> as we choose this, this path. Self-righteousness is a repellent for people. So Peter says, as you learn to live wisely, as you learn to choose the hard things, self-control, steadfastness, then add to that brotherly affection where you, you give grace to the people around you and, you and you humbly work toward cooperating with them in family life, at work, here in church. This, this makes a big difference. We wrap all of these qualities together with love. The final character quality mentioned here. It's a sacrificial kind of love which the New Testament often uses and points to Jesus' death as an example of this. Jesus saw our need because we had sinned. That cut us off from knowing God personally. We could not bridge the gap between ourselves and God, the canyon that exists that separates us from Him. Jesus saw that we needed someone to be good for us. And He chose, out of His virtue, He did the courageous good thing and died on the cross so that we could know God. That is a tremendous description of love. That is the Bible's definition of what it means to love. This list of character qualities sets us up for the kind of life that God really uses for good. It's a, kind of, it's a very fruitful, productive life. So let's turn the corner, and as I wrap up the message today, let's look at how God grows our character. We, we need to know this so we can cooperate with Him as He grows it. Character doesn't grow in a classroom. We don't acquire it uh, like we would a skill or knowledge. You can't learn it from a book or a seminar. Uh, For example, let's say our goal is to be a more loving person. Specifically, our goal is to build up others with our words rather than tear them down. And so to do this means we have to choose self-control. And rather than vent in in anger and let the words fly when we get upset, which causes rifts in every arena that you choose to do that in, I want to build up. I don't want to do that. I don't want to tear down. I don't want to let it fly. I want to stop doing that. We tend to think, I need to know better. I need to know better in order to handle this. I should have known better. Is that, have you ever thought that? I should have known better. 
And usually I find, when I think I should have known better, that's, that's horrible, that's humiliating. I usually end up with, but I, I didn't do better, and I'm a human being. I should have known better is this twisted pride thing that we do. You know, I should have known better, <laughs> but I didn't. I have a few cringe moments that I think that about. But anyway, we tend to think I need to read a book. Manners and Tasteful Speech would really help me. So I'm going to read about it. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to gain some knowledge about manners and tasteful speech. And I'm sure more than a few people wished I'd read that book. But Or we, we think, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to literally bite my tongue. I'm going to bite my tongue so I don't say the thing I don't want to say that's going to tear the people around me down. That's a strategy. I... I I wouldn't say it's a skill, it's a strategy. But it's not enough to change our character. How, how does that happen? God changes us in the middle of life experiences. As life flows by, he's arranging things, he's working in things to change us, to be more like him, those who will cooperate with him. Here, here's how God builds our character to make us most productive. First, time with him. I put some references by these points here to just, you could look them up later, but the passage here in Second Peter tells us to avoid error, the wrong knowledge about God, by growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is a certain kind of knowledge. It literally could be like becoming acquainted with, like you get to know a person. And there are two ways we do that. We get to know God through reading the scripture, and through prayer. We, we know more about Jesus Christ through those two things. And as you get into the scripture, it, it, it's alive. So often with me, I'll be reading it and it sort of jumps off the page and God says something to me through it. And that's, that's a conversation. That's not just reading a book. <laughs> that's a real conversation. That God is having with me. And he'll say something to me that I need to turn into action or I need to shift my, my attitude that shows up in my words and deeds throughout that day or in a, a situation that he's speaking into. And that's an experience I've had. That's not just getting up and doing a religious activity. That's, that's getting to know God because he's spoken to me. And I turn that into the way I, I, I try to turn it into the way I live. And if I don't, I know I've, I've messed up and I make it right with him. When the Lord answers a prayer, when we take things to God in prayer and we ask him to help us to do what it is he's put us here on earth to do, and He answers when he answers a prayer, you now have an experience that no one can manufacture for you. You've experienced God. And this begins to change you. For instance, we we started a building expansion fund last June. And after a few months, God, I read Exodus 25, 1 and 2. And it says, Moses told the people, as, as many of you that God moves their hearts to give, give to the tabernacle. And God used that. He spoke to me. He said, you need to just start praying that God would uh, move the hearts of our people and others to give to the building 
an expansion fund. Seemed like God was leading us this. You know, the way it is, you step out to follow God and he confirms your steps. So it seemed like God was leading in this, so I began to pray that. It's interesting, I was just in Fort Worth last week, and Hope was moved to put Church in the Valley in its Christmas offering. And so it's, fun, it's, it's interesting to me that after I began to pray that God would move our hearts and the hearts of others to give to the building and expansion fund, Harold said the idea came to mind after that that he, he should, they should include, as Harold's the pastor, Harold Bullock's the pastor of the church, it came to his mind that he should put Church in the Valley in the offering. And he sort of wrestled with that for a couple months, not wrestled like he didn't want to do it, but just went back and forth with God, making sure that's what God was saying, and God was saying it, and what a blessing. You know, this, this is the kind of, you can't manufacture that kind of experience with God. I began to pray. He begins to speak to Harold. They do an offering, and God provides for us to build the expansion fund, the building and expansion fund. So this is, now when I say time with God, I'm not talking about some unreal, nebulous deal. I'm talking about getting in Scripture, praying, and watching God respond. He speaks to you. He answers prayer. You don't, you can't manufacture that. A second way God builds character is through the church community. To grow in the character described in Second Peter, we have to be connected and contributing to a church body, or we hit a ceiling. There's a ceiling to our, our growth in Christ if we aren't connected. I, I, and, and also just our growth in every way. If we're not connected, if we're not contributing, we hit this ceiling. I, I have a close friend, for instance. I, we're working on things together in, in you know, church life and in a broader context. I have a close friend who consistently thinks the best of others. And because of that, I'm inspired to do the same thing. You, you need to be connected to a community, a body of people who are heading toward the same kinds of values, same kind of character traits. And you get inspired. You need exposure to people with character to become a person of character. There's no shortcut on that. You, you've got to have it. God also uses pressure to grow us. Trouble and difficulty reveal who we are on the inside. And God works with us as we walk through a process. You see in Romans 5, a process. You can read that for yourself. But suffering, endurance, suffering becomes endurance, which becomes character, which becomes hope. If we cooperate with God in that suffering, the word for suffering is pressure. It means to be weighed down with something. There's this pressure. God uses that. There's a bigger picture that God's working from in our lives. If we only focus on the here and now, we're nearsighted, like 2 Peter uh, 1.9 says. We're, we're nearsighted because we're not looking at what God's doing. As we learn to cooperate with God, uh, with the ways he's growing us in our character, we become more productive. And I want to share a video with you. Uh, from a guy, a, a man from the Alhambra campus of Church in the Valley. He's, he's going to share how stepping into the church community is something God has used to grow his character. Let's, let's listen to him share. 
Uh, hi, my name is Aaron San Juan, and uh, I've been attending CID for a little over a year now. I've also been serving uh, on the facilities team and the worship team for about a year. So I was going to a church in Ontario because I had worked in Ontario, and I got a new job in uh, South Pasadena. And so I was looking for something closer to where I was working. And I, I had met Joyce at my work. And we were talking about guitar, because I, I played guitar, and she did, and she had said she played for the worship team, and they were looking for an electric guitarist, and I, I thought, hey, maybe this is, you know, something that God is calling me to, or, or something for me to look into. And I, and I came, and uh, when I got to Church in the Valley, they, they needed a lot of help on, on facilities as well, and I kind of got really plugged in, and it's a big change in environment, whereas... At work, you know, uh, where I found I have in the past found myself complaining and whatnot, and then to to volunteer and to and to do to serve in, in worship and in facilities where you're just around a group of people uh, with a with a different character, really, with a different set of values, and there's no complaining. And one character trait that I, I really feel that I've grown in was uh, perseverance. I see a lot of perseverance and a lot of love and a lot of traits that, uh, yeah, that, that really kind of stick with you when you spend time with these people. So seeing Ben and, and, and the band in, in, in the worship team, seeing them overcome obstacles and continue to, to practice every week to be there and, and through whatever they face, uh, kind of just seeing that character shine through, um, it had an effect on me as well as uh, an impression. Um, Serving for a year or over a year, it's kind of the more you, the more I've done it, it, it's helped me transition and and kind of bring that attitude and that character into other areas of my life, right? So for work example, um, so I work in IT, and every now and then, you know, you deal with or I deal with people that aren't that might might have had a bad day, right? And then on top of that, their computer's broken, so you know, it's just uh, sometimes in IT, and I'm sure in a lot of other jobs as well, you can be uh, just uh, the scapegoat for venting, and uh, but just having having you know carrying over those qualities uh, from church and from serving, uh, just having love for people and uh, patience and self control, and it added to my productivity as well. Just uh, I could have spent a lot of time arguing and fighting with people and uh, let it go, you know, have some grace and uh, getting up early. It's not you know. Every Sunday, it takes some getting used to, and uh, but you know when you get when at least for me when I got to know John and all the people and 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 for them to come to rely on us being there as well, you know, just to set up and and have that church ready to go, it's kind of uh, some motivation for me. Anyway, I'm very grateful for the group God's put together at our campuses. I'd like you to take a moment as we're wrapping up to think through what your next step might be. Uh, if you'd take out your connection card from your program, begin to complete anything you weren't able to fill out prior to this or mark one of these next steps that I'm going to mention. That'd be, that'd be great. In a moment, uh, the ushers will come by. We're going to be receiving our offering. You can place the card in the offering basket. That'd be fantastic. Where are you experiencing pressure right now as the band comes up to get ready to lead us? What, what character may God be trying to build in you through it? What, what could prevent you from, from growing, bailing out, 
isolation, not spending time with God. What opportunities are around you right now that God may want you to be a part of, that he could use to grow you? Maybe serve, meet a need, get some information on serve, sign up for a group, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, here are some next steps that I'm suggesting. First, read through 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9, and ask God for more insight as you read through that. Help him, ask him to help you see how those things connect together. A next step would be connect to the church body by serving or being in a group. It's a great way to get exposed to people. Uh, further along to discover opportunities to meet needs. As, as I rub shoulders with those who are walking with God, I'm encouraged. I'm challenged. I, I, I get spurred on. And so those are a couple of steps you could take. God may have laid something else on your heart as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth that really does give us the perspective we need to do what pleases you. I pray, God, that you would help us today to honor you and to glorify you and to have the strength to take the steps you've laid on our hearts to take. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.